Welcome to the Software Social Podcast, where we invite you to join our weekly conversation about what's going on in our businesses. I'm Michelle Hansen. And I'm Colleen Schnettler. How's it going, Colleen? I'm doing well. It's been a pretty exciting week for me um, on a tech front. So I haven't had as much time this week. I'm really trying to commit to talking to more people. Yay. I think I mentioned that. Yes. Yeah. And it's kind of funny because I've been talking to more people and they don't really care about my image management solution, but they are, well, it's okay. This, this kind of interesting thing has happened where they care, they're, they don't care about that, but they're really excited about the work I'm doing with AWS and Arc. I'm, I'm moving my tech over to go from kind of a monolithic rails app to like AWS Lambda serverless functions. And everyone is really interested in that. Really? Yeah. It's kind of been a funny thing where I've wanted to talk to people about image management and they want to talk to me about how I'm using Lambda functions to do manipulations on images. Really? And so, yeah. And so I, there's a few things I'm trying to be wary of here. One is I feel like it's not a good idea to use new tech on a new idea because you're it's like a double uphill battle. You have to both build something, ship it, and learn some new tech. But this AWS stuff is really cool. I love learning it. And the architecture with it really is better. It just feels cleaner. Um, I'm not a huge microservices person, but this particular, what I'm building really lends itself well to these Lambda functions. So that's been really fun. But it has been an interesting thing to find out that people are more interested in that. So as you know, like one of the things I struggle with is jumping too quickly from idea to idea. But I'm seeing this opportunity where everyone wants to learn how to write Lambda functions in the cloud with Ruby. And I'm like, oh, well, that's interesting. Did you have a course business at one point? I forget. I thought about it. I st- no, that would be... <laughs> that would be no. I thought about it and I started doing video courses. I think I did like three or four and it just got, I mean, it's kind of a slog to do that kind of thing, especially if it's not, it was, I was building something that was more tiered towards beginners. And so it was pretty boring for me to actually make them because you have to really go back. And I felt like there was a lot of beginner course content out there already. So I never, I never really gave that a good shot, but this is an interesting thing because I am really, when you hear these people who are successful, they're like, oh, I was interested in this thing. And I blogged about it every day for a year. And then boom, I'm the expert in this thing. And I have a product in this thing. I don't know. It's just, I don't want to be jumping, right? This is a, I need to really focus, which is one of the things I struggle with, but I'm really tempted. I, I'm really tempted to like get more into this AWS in the cloud serverless function stuff. That seems to be more interesting to my developer friends. Maybe it's not jumping if you just hang out on a particular stepping stone for a little bit. Maybe there's like a mini course here or something, or even if it's just blog posts and people get excited about that, but maybe there's, uh, you know, a little, a little stop along the way here. So I'd really like to get the image thing done because I think as we've been talking every week, I feel like I'm just so close. Well, and you need it like for your 
sanity on the projects you work on. Yes, I need it. I'm going to use it on my clients. And I just want to finish something. Like, I just want to finish a side (laughs) project. That's just where I am. (laughs) It's like graveyard of abandoned side projects. So I want to finish it. And I'll use it. And I think it'll make my life easier. So that's great. But I wonder, this is something I'm kind of like putting in the back of my mind and kind of tabling as people are interested in this. They want to learn more. They want to learn, you know, how you can use it. And the other thing, there's, I feel like serverless is huge and there's so much opportunity for growth. And I don't know if there is like, I know AWS has a marketplace, but I don't know anything about it. But so for example, this one um, serverless function I have, all you do is if your image is in my bucket, you can just send query parameters for the size you want of the image and it returns the image already resized and optimized and things like that. Wouldn't it be cool if you could have like a suite of little serverless functions that you could somehow bundle together? Like a whole bunch, I don't know, you'd have like, I don't know what it would look like. You'd have like five different API endpoints you as my customer could hit that would handle all of your different image manipulation. Like, or I could have one for video and one for images. I don't know. I feel like there might be something there and I don't know what that looks like, but it's definitely like tucked away in the back of my mind. Like what I'm working on now, I want to finish first. That's important. And it's so close. But I think after that might be a good time to start blogging about all the stuff I have learned in the AWS ecosystem and one, so I don't forget it, but also, you know, to see if people are interested in that kind of information as well. It sounds like they are. And like, I can't tell you how many projects and, and, and products come out of setting out to do something else. Like just earlier this week, um, Adam Wathen did a huge thread on the development of Tailwind. I don't know if you saw it. And uh, yes. he mentioned how they were working on another side project, but like the CSS was driving him nuts. And so then he just made that and then he open sourced it and people were super psyched about it. And they were really surprised by that. And then it like led to this whole thing that is tailwind um i mean that happened with geocodio too like we set out to make an app that told you grocery store and coffee shop opening hours and ran into problems with geocoding and um you know we got some good good traction and some excited users on the grocery store app but man when you find a problem that developers have and you solve it for them people get really really excited about that yeah so when you guys launch geocodio did you do that through some kind of existing marketplace or were you just out in the free world hacker news that was the place to launch in january of 2014 product time like wasn't even a thing (laughs) yeah and we did a ton of you know posting on like stack overflow and reddit and how did you know when you were ready to put it out there for other people had you guys been using it for your grocery store app for a while yeah I think at least six months or so that's quite a while yeah and and it took a good friend of ours to be like hey like you should just slap a paywall in front of this and see if other people will pay for it and then at least you don't have to pay the server cost for it and like maybe enough people will use it that that server is effectively free for you and we're like oh yeah that would be amazing you know, because we were making three or four hundred dollars a month in ad revenue off of the app, and so we thought that was 
an amazing, huge success. I remember we had these conversations about how, like, this is what's making money. We should focus on this. Like, this geocoding thing is a distraction. I mean, I can't tell me how many of those conversations we've had over the years. It's like, this is the thing that's making money, and this new thing is shiny and a distraction, and we need to make sure we focus on things <laughs> making money. And this is, you know, the only thing that really ended up being a thing. Yeah, so many things come out of you have another idea and you run into this foundational problem and it turns out that everybody's more excited about that. I And I've always felt like there's something in the AWS ecosystem. So complicated. Yes, it is so unnecessarily complicated. Like, I don't know why we pay what we do for AWS. Like, I literally, like, basically there's no way for me to figure out why we are being charged what we are and there's like third-party websites you have to go to to even know what their pricing is like it's insane yes I agree and so it feels like it's a huge that's always that has also been a pain point for me like this whole this whole images of course but also all of the AWS stuff so People are, seem to be more excited. I have to say, like just talking to people and not that I've talked to tons of people, but I'm just trying to engage more in the communities I'm already a part of. And the image thing, as we've discussed, for most people, it's not frequent. It's painful, but they set it up once and they're done. Most people don't consult, so they don't see a lot of different clients. So they don't have to set this up over and over and over. If you work for a big company, like you set this right, up you once, set it up and, then- and you're done. Yeah, exactly. But the AWS stuff is always evolving and people seem really interested in the serverless stuff. And maybe that's just because it's a cool new hotness, but it seems like it's going to work really well for me. And so still focused on finishing what I'm working on, but um, I could see maybe getting writing a little bit about some of the struggles I've had with that and what I've learned with that once this image thing is complete. Yeah, why not? Sounds like there might be something there. Also, as a side note, our podcast has launched since we had our last episode. And so my non-technical friends, yay, my non-technical friends have listened to the first episode and they're so excited. And they say to me, Colleen, what is your idea? And when I tell them, (laughs) they are so disappointed. (laughs) It's like this huge letdown. They're like expecting me to be like, oh, I'm going to build the new Facebook or cure world hunger. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to help you put images on the internet they're not impressed (laughs) it's been funny it's been a funny response (laughs) so anyway I think my goals for this week I'm really I'm really deep in the technical stuff and I just want to get like I said I'm just trying to get that done so I think that's my goal for this week and just to keep engaging with people and talking to people yeah that's what you gotta do talk to people see if your idea has interest yeah definitely so what has been going on this week with Geocodio? Gosh, well, you know, today was actually a really good day. I got two landing pages out, which nice is the kind of work I enjoy. It's, it's kind of weird, though, because it's a defined scope. So it's good for if I want something I can knock out in an hour or so, but I don't actually find out the results of it for like another month. So it's kind of funny to see, oh, wow, that landing page I wrote three months ago is actually doing really well. Like, I should do more of those. That's because it takes that long for the SEO to get yeah, back it just, to you? Yeah, it just takes time. Yeah. Um, so when you're doing a landing page, what do you use for that? Uh, we just have a very basic 
Netlify CMS, and it's just, um, you know, it's just text and some screenshots. It's, it's nothing fancy. But that, anyway, that was just today. So I, but I'm really thinking about, <laughs> so I was just, I just like enjoyed my work today. It was just kind of fun. Um, so what I was really thinking about this week, you know how a couple weeks ago we talked about projects that failed, pro- products that failed, right? Like we yes. were like, oh, we should do that on another episode. So what I actually ended up thinking about this week was products that like almost failed and then came back from the dead, but they didn't really die. And I don't know if that makes <laughs> any sense whatsoever. I feel like I should back up here. So yeah, maybe I'm a little confused. So, okay. Let me, the, the high level of where I got to what I've been thinking about is recently I saw this Wall Street Journal article talking about how companies after the pandemic hit in March, they pulled back their software and R&D spending to the tune of 27% on an annualized basis. So software, R&D, et cetera, spending is negative 27% since March. And I used to work in investing, and one of the things I absorbed from that was that you should, you know, compare yourself to the market, right? So, you know, any, you know, portfolio manager or, or a fund you look at, it's always what it, what is their benchmark, right? Like the S&P 500 or whatnot. And so I looked at that and I was like, oh, interesting. That like looks like a benchmark. I wonder how we did over the same time period just for accountability. You know, I, I always look at our numbers every day, every week, but it's only once or twice a year that I really step back and look at like growth rates and what our customer portfolio looks like and think about goals for diversifying into different customer areas. So, which is maybe a topic for another podcast too. So anyway, I was inspired to run the numbers this week on um, our growth rates so far for, for January through the end of July of this year. And I gotta say, like, I, I love being knee deep in a spreadsheet. Like, it has been, it has been kind of, like, refreshing, kind of fun to be able to really, <laughs> like, focus and just nerd out on the data like that. Like, um, I really love it. Okay, so where this gets to, like, dead products. So, you know, I calculated all of our, our growth rates and everything. And what got, really got me thinking about this was... Somewhere we've seen a lot of growth this year is in our HIPAA-compliant product. So you've been to the doctor's office. You've probably signed a form about, like, data and how they can, you know, access information. And there's, like, HIPAA privacy practices and stuff like that. You've probably signed this form with every new doctor's visit you've ever gone on. Yes. Yes. So this is, this is basically, you know, GDPR for healthcare data in the U.S. And so two years ago, yeah, August of 2018, we launched a HIPAA-compliant version of Geocodio, um, thinking that it, it was, you know, basically the same product as we were doing, but a new market, and there was a lot of potential because there weren't really any good HIPAA-compliant geocoding options available. And so, for example, if a doctor's office wanted to put their patients on a map, the coordinates are considered personally identifiable information under HIPAA, and so they can't just use an off-the-shelf service for it. 
And so okay. in like 2017, actually right after I'd gone full time, we were thinking about like big projects to chew on. And it was either do we go worldwide or do we do HIPAA? Like we had we had gotten requests for it for years. And we decided, you know, we're a small team. The world is a big, complicated place. Um, it's probably more straightforward for us to go into a new market, but we already have the product all built out and everything, at least from a, you know, a UI and functional perspective. And we had some interest. So we spent about a year rebuilding the product from the ground up, working with a security consultant. Like we, like, you know, it looks the same to the, to the customer, but, um, it, it, everything under the hood is different. Like data centers are different because we have to have special data processing agreements with them and all of this stuff. So anyway, so I spent, you know, months and months and months um, on this um, from from the from the the customer side of things, you know, gathering interest in it, running surveys, figuring out pricing, like generating interest, all of this stuff. And so we're feeling pretty good about it. We launch it in August of 2018. And after like a month, no one signs up for it. Oh, wow. And this is a problem. Like, not only have we spent a year of our time on this and and hours, like, and hours of work. So the way our service works is we basically, for the most part, we have two separate ways of accessing Geocodia. We have this public cluster, which if we have a pay-as-you-go plan, the requests go there. And then we have unlimited customers who each have their own dedicated server, and they can... You know, basically run as much as they want on that for a flat rate. And it's also, you know, we, we pay a flat rate for that, so it works out for everyone. And what we really want to do is launch a pay-as-you-go option for HIPAA and make it like, super accessible and easy for people to do this. But that requires us to be paying for this public cluster, and we didn't have any customers. Oh, I see. And what is the first rule of bootstrapping? Always make money. You always have to be cash flow positive. You're not burning somebody else's money. You are burning your own money if you are losing it. Um, and so we were like, oh, God, like what happened? And, you know, I ran so I ran some testing on the homepage because I was like, what happened here? Like, like, where mm-hmm. did we go? Like, we talked to all these people. We've done these service like where, you know, we had years of demand from people, like, what happened? And so it turned out that, you know, I'd go through the website with everything, everyone was fine, and I'm like, okay, well, what would your next step be if you wanted to sign up? I'm like, oh, well, I would go talk to my legal department. And then I was like, oh, no. And so this is what I had underestimated, was that the sales cycle is not somebody just signs up and they and they get going. It's It has to go through security reviews. It has to go through legal reviews. It has to go through lots of phone calls, and so I didn't realize this at the time, but it, like it can take us a year to eighteen months sometimes to sign on HIPAA customers. Wow, that's when a long time. normally our average time from someone signs up to add a credit card is like less than twelve hours. Right. Wow. Like the median time to first add a credit card is less than twelve hours. So. So that sales cycle is really long, and this is something that can kill you. And I think this, you know, something that the founders of Binomial have talked about quite a bit, too, is, like, 
sales cycle can be killer, especially for a small company. So anyway, we were like, well, all right. So we ha- basically we had to shut down the pay-as-you-go option for the product. We didn't have any customers on the unlimited side. So the product was basically dead a month after we launched it because we couldn't burn money on these servers. Sure, that makes sense. Yeah. So that that's two years ago. And but we kept it open sort of as an option in case someone reached out as an unlimited option, which, you know, we only pay for the infrastructure if somebody is actually using the product, is actually, uh, you know, has a subscription. So okay. that works out for us. So, so, you know, it's sort of been very, very slowly growing over the past two years. But in March, we had a big uptick in interest in it. Understandably, there's a lot more interest in health-related data. And so when I was crunching the numbers this week, uh, one of my first thoughts was, what percentage of this is HIPAA-related? Like, and what would our growth numbers look like if we didn't have that product? So do you want to dive into some numbers with me? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, okay. So compared to January to end of July 2019, our growth this year so far was 59%. 59%? That's revenue growth. Okay. Okay. Bear in mind, this is not, I'm not talking about net income, right? I'm not subtracting costs from it and it's more expensive for us to run, you know, HIPAA, but this is just sure. sort of that seems great though that's that's yeah great, right? right i was like okay. oh wow that's like really weirdly good and i almost like feel guilty that we're like doing well when everything is terrible um so so i was like okay that's so that's really good like we're comparing you know our benchmark is negative 27 percent. like that's that's good so but then I was like, but what would that be like without HIPAA? Like, like has the pandemic really, like, contri- like how much has that contributed to this growth? Like, I mean, because we had one customer who signed up who we, like, whipped through everything and they got started in a day, which had never happened before. They were like, we need this right now. Like, get us set up. Like, somehow everything got approved, like, overnight. And it was it was that you ever hear people talking about, um, you know, your product market fit when people are literally – taking the product out of your hands yeah I was like wow okay that is (laughs) I like had never experienced it quite like that before okay so if you take out the HIPAA customers we have gotten since March our growth for January to end of July is 41 percent okay so it dips but it doesn't go um all all the way and then I was like let's go back all the way right so like we launched this product you know, there are these issues with sales cycle. We're like, oh, this is a colossal mistake and a waste of a year. And and we are full of regret and angst about all of it. So last year, just for the, this is just the same time period. It's not full year. So our revenue would have been down 7% last year. Uh, for, without sorry. HIPAA? Without it, right. Without those customers. Okay. So I'm trying to, like, what happens if I pull out all of those customers, basically, okay. from the data? So, and then, so then if I took them all, so if I took them all out entirely, then looking at 2020, our growth would only be 27%. Wow. So without this product that we thought was a colossal failure when we launched it, Mm 
and was a waste of a year's worth of work actually has made a huge like 32 point percentage difference in our growth this year that's amazing so my first question for you you have a background in economics don't you yes how could you tell so isn't the first rule of economics (laughs) though science (laughs) isn't the first rule of economics the sunk cost fallacy like oh god why didn't you guys walk away after after it did not like what how did you make the decision once you were so far into it to not walk away and to not give up on it well we basically did Right. Okay. Right. Because like you shut down your public. We, we shut down ago. the public cluster, and if anyone wanted to sign up, they had to be on the unlimited level, which is still the case today. I mean, we maybe we could launch a, a pay-as-you-go, but I'm just just given the sales cycle is not. I, I feel no urgency to to do that. I'd like to make it more accessible, but but yeah, I mean, some cost fallacy is you've put a lot of time into something. You know, the the first rule when you're in a hole is stop digging. Right. And so after a month, we pulled the plug on it. Because it didn't cost you anything. Losses. Yeah. So so because it didn't cost you anything to have those. Because you only pay for the private servers if you have the clients, right? If you exactly. have the customers. Okay. Exactly. I get yeah. it. Well, that's amazing how that worked out for you guys. Yeah. It's just kind of like wild to see like something. Sometimes something fails. But like timing is a huge part of that. Like, and, and yeah. it reminded me of how people have talked about companies like Blue Apron and whatnot, where, I mean, before, I guess I haven't looked at them recently, but like before the pandemic, I mean, their, their, their expenses were out of control. Like their, the unit economics on it, which is, you know, the taking into account the, what they spend on each customer in terms of the product, but also in terms of marketing and then how much money they get back were terrible but now things like blue apron or or food delivery right like people are seeking out those products much more frequently than they were before like the need for those products has changed and so instead of having to market all the time and give a lot of stuff away for free um people are seeking them out and their unit economics are uh improving um, and so it's like sometimes like the, the product is not necessarily uh, a bad idea, but the timing for it isn't right. And it's a question of um, if you can survive until the timing is right. You know, it's kind of like that stock market mm-hmm. quote, what the, uh, the the market can stay irrational longer than you can stay liquid. Um, I think I butchered, butchered that. But um you know, so yeah, I don't know if it, like the the product like came back from the dead or. <laughs> That's what really happened. interesting <laughs> because it's so hard when you get started, or uh, probably at any point um, in your business career, to figure out when you've given something enough. Because you hear so much, you hear so much advice that says you have to know when to walk away, right? Yeah. Like you have to know when this is a bust. Don't sink any more time in it. But then you hear stories like this where it took you guys two years to actually see a return of an entire year of work. If you didn't already have a successful business before that, you probably would have been even more upset when it didn't take off. Oh, for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I think the only thing that really kept it alive was that we could, you know, sort of throw it in the deep freeze for a while until some customers came along. Well, that's great. It worked out. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, you know, now and now I need to, you know, make sure I'm double checking all of my net income numbers. I'm sure they're they're not going to be nearly as amazing um, because a big part of that is AWS, probably. <laughs> Those jerks. <laughs> oh. it, it's wild to, to think about it. And we launched it basically exactly two years ago. Um, and it just it took it took a lot of time. For, for that product to grow into its own. And I think that's something that I struggle, and I think I've mentioned this before, and I think other people struggle with, is things take time. Just in general, like, things take time. And that's okay. Like, it took us right. three and a half years to go full-time on Geocodio, just me. Yeah. But the key thing was is that we were not burning money through that time. Like, we were always making money, e- even if it was only... God, I think our first month, our margin was $10. Like, as long as you're not spending, as long as you're not spending, I know, it's very impressive. Um, (laughs) um, As long as you're not spending more money on it than you're making and you're enjoying it, then you can keep going. But if you're losing money and it's your money, that's, that, that's, uh, that's there's some tough tough decisions to be made there. Yeah. Well, I I, I guess that's about it for this week. Um, thank you so much, everyone, for listening. By the way, uh, so Colleen mentioned earlier that the podcast just went live this week, and um, we're we're pretty floored that people want to listen to us. I think I mean I'm speaking for myself. Like I'm pretty surprised that it's more than just. Uh, a couple friends of ours listening. Um, and so if you enjoy uh, our show and want to help other people find it, we'd be incredibly grateful if you, if you tweet about it or can write a review for us. That would mean so much to us. Yeah. Thank you so much, everyone, for listening. And we would love to engage with you. So please feel free to reach out to our podcast Twitter handle, which is Software Soch Pod. Or either of us, we're both on Twitter, um, and we'd love to hear what you think and any questions you have about the show. Huge thanks to all of our listeners who've become software socialites and support our show. Chris from Chipper CI, the daringly handsome Kevin Griffin, and Mike from Gently Used Domains, who has a nice personality, Dave from Recut, Max of Online or Not, Stefan from Talk to Stefan, Brendan Andrade of Brightbits, Team Tuple, Alex Hillman from The Tiny MBA, Rami from Hovercode and Rocket Gems, Jane and Benedict from UserList, Kendall Morgan, Ruben Gomez of Signwell, Corey Haynes of Swipewell, Mike Wade of Crowd Sentry, Nate Ritter of Roomsteals, Anna Mast of SubscribeSense, Jeff Roberts from Outsetta, Justin Jackson, MegaMaker, Jack Ellis and Paul Jarvis from Fathom Analytics, Matthew from Appointment Reminder, Andrew Culver at Bullet Train, John Coster, Alex of Corso Systems, Richard from Stunning, Josh, the annoyingly pragmatic founder, Ben from Consent Kit, John from Credo and Editor Ninja, Cam Sloan, Michael Copper of Nusi Proposals, Chris from URL Box, Callie of Toslet, Greg Park from Trait Lab, Adam from Rails Autoscale, Lana and Alex from Recapsi, Joe Mazzalotti of RailsDevs.com, Proud Mama from Applenet LLC, Anna from Cradle, Monsef from Ruby on Mac, Steve of Be Inclusive, Simon Bennett of Snapshooter Backups, Josh Smith of Keyhero.io, Jesper Christensen of Form Backend, Matthew of Works Cited, Chris of JetBoost.io, Daryl Shannon of Docomatic, 
Larabelle's, a community for Larabelle developers underrepresented due to their gender. Brendan from Feederloop, Pascal from Sharpen.Page, Lynn Romick from Convini, Arvid Call, James Sowers from Castaway.fm, Jessica Malnick, Damian Moore of Audio Audit Podcast Checker, Eldon from Nodal Studios, Mitchell Davis from Recruit Kit.